Now, as you're able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Dustin. Today's reading comes from Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed in all of them, from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. morning. It is good to be with you here this morning. My name is Ryan, for those of you that I may not know. Now, you are already familiar with the story, most likely. The created being that should be pursuing the creator, but instead decides to turn and run towards other things. Another person who is loyal to the creator has to come alongside and remind that created being that, hey, you should be pursuing the love of the creator, not the things of this world, not the trash that you're pursuing. This, of course, is the story of the movie Toy Story 4. (laughs) The Toy Story franchise is a movie about how our toys apparently come to life when we're not looking. And one of those toys, Woody, is so focused on the love of his owners. Well, at one point in Toy Story 4, his owner is a girl named Bonnie. And Bonnie goes off to school, and on her first day of school, she's nervous. So Woody sneaks along to school with her, and at one point when she's not looking, he grabs some stuff from the trash, and he puts it on her table so that she can use it to do an art project, to do a little craft time. And she creates this little person, this little toy, out of a spork, and she calls him Forky. And she plays with Forky, and then she sets him in the backpack at the end of the day. And Forky, like every other toy in the movie, comes to life. But the difference between Forky and the other toys is that Forky believes he is trash. He wants to be trash. He wants to get thrown away. He wants to be surrounded by trash. And he's constantly pursuing trash. And Woody has to come alongside him and say, no, 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 there's something better for you. Stop pursuing trash. Pursue the love of your creator. Pursue the love of Bonnie. Experience what she has for you. Experience relationship with her. And isn't this true of how we are as followers of Christ? That so often we pursue the wrong things. We pursue the things of this world. We pursue trash when we should be pursuing our creator. Jonah was pursuing the wrong thing at the beginning of his book. When God called him to go to Nineveh, Jonah instead ran the other direction. He thought he was pursuing something beautiful, something easy, something comfortable. 
but really he was pursuing trash. And God got his attention and said, no, Jonah, you're going the wrong way. See, what God wanted Jonah to do was to go to Nineveh and to preach to a people who were far from God that you also are pursuing trash. And there's something better out there for you. Stop running towards the things of this world and start running towards God. And so finally, God gets Jonah's attention. And we saw last week in Jonah chapter two that Jonah is in the belly of the fish. And he finally begins to realize, you know what? My plan may not be working. And so he turns from his ways and he starts saying, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna submit to you and I'm gonna follow you and I'm gonna do what you have called me to do. And so he is vomited up on dry land. That's the scripture's words, not my words. He is vomited up on dry land and gets another chance. And here's where we find ourselves in Jonah chapter three. Verse one says this, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And so here the wording is very similar to the wording we saw in Jonah chapter one. And I think this is intentional, that God wants us to see that he is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of second chances. And so maybe as we've been going through the Jonah series, you have been feeling that conviction, that challenge to go and to make disciples, to go and share your faith. Maybe there's been a little bit of thinking that, you know, I've never done that. I've never been invitational. I've kind of kept this to myself and I need to live on mission with God. Maybe you've been feeling a little guilty because even if you felt that conviction, you just keep saying no, you keep turning towards other things. You keep running in a different direction. Well, let me tell you, today is a new day and God's mercies are new every day. Amen. And so if you didn't get it right yesterday, maybe today you'll get it right. And if not today, maybe tomorrow or maybe the next day. Don't keep pushing it off but just understand that every day is a new day and a new opportunity to pursue the things of God, to turn from our ways and pursue what he has in store for us. And so Jonah was given a second chance. Go to Nineveh, proclaim the message. The mission is the same, go and make disciples. It's the same for us today as it was yesterday and last week and a month ago and a year ago. And ever since Jesus stepped foot on this earth, the mission has been the same. For us as his followers to go and make disciples. And so Jonah is given the same call. I still want you to go to Nineveh. I still want you to preach. And so this time, Jonah's obedient. It tells us in verse three, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In chapter one, we saw Jonah go down to the port city of Joppa. And he paid a fare to get on a boat, to travel a long distance, to go away from God. He paid money, he went on a journey, he did everything he could at a cost to himself to get away from God's plan. This time in Jonah chapter three, we are seeing that at a cost to himself, in terms of a difficult journey, that Jonah is being obedient to God. Jonah has submitted himself to God, recognizing that God is king, that he is sovereign, that he rules and reigns, and that his plan is the best plan, even when it doesn't feel that way to me, even when I don't like it, even when it's hard, I'm gonna trust God's plan for me. And so now he is doing the right thing and it's costing him something. It's costing him time. Maybe it cost him some of his treasure. It's certainly going to cost him some of his talent. 
but he is submitting all of that to God because it belongs to him in the first place. Jonah obeys God and he begins to preach this word that God has given to him. And we only see a small part of the message. Maybe this is all there was, but he says 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I believe that this is a place in scripture that is descriptive, not prescriptive. I don't think this is the message that we as Christians need to go out and proclaim. Don't go walking around and just being like 40 more days and you're gonna be destroyed and you're gonna be destroyed and you're gonna be destroyed and you're gonna be destroyed. We see this happen though, don't we? We see people standing on street corners, holding up signs that say, you're all going to hell. And you're like, yes, I'm sure a bunch of people are gonna stop and, and repent and be like, wow, I'm so sorry. Tell me about Jesus. See, we need to speak the truth in love. And there is a way of proclaiming a message about sin and obedience and being servants of God in a way that is invitational, in a way that invites, in a way that is truthful, but it's also loving. Jonah was given these words from God and I don't know if this was the exact message he was given. Perhaps there was more and it just wasn't recorded. Perhaps there was more that he was supposed to say and in this moment, he was being a little bit disobedient. was like, I don't wanna talk about the grace part. So I'm just gonna talk about the punishment part and God decided to use that anyways. Or perhaps this is all that God knew was needed in this moment. And listen, if God says to speak it, you better speak it. And so if God told Jonah, hey, all I want you to do is go and say that 40 more days, this city's being overthrown, then that's what Jonah needed to do. But here's what I want us to recognize. God's plan was not just to scare people. God's plan was not just to punish people. God's plan was to invite them into relationship, to reconcile them back towards him. God's plan was to see this people be led to repentance so that they would turn from their evil ways, turn from their sinful past and start pursuing the things of God. If God didn't care about the Ninevites, he would have simply destroyed the city. We've seen that happen in other places, that God's wrath and judgment is poured onto a place. But God sent Jonah, a prophet, to proclaim the word so that the Ninevites would repent of their sins, turn from their ways, and receive relationship with God. That's what God desired, and this is what they're being led towards. And here we see it lived out in verse five. It tells in verse five that the Ninevites believed God. This is ultimately what we wanna point people to. We wanna point people towards belief. Many times as Christians with good intentions, we jump over the belief section and we start heading towards behavior. Because as Christians, we spend weeks in church, we, we read our Bibles, we get into small groups, we get into Bible studies and we study the word of God and we try and live our life according to the word of God. And what happens is we start to recognize sin. And so then we become very aware of all the sin that's out in the world, the sin of non-believers especially. And we start paying attention to all the sin that's around us. And with good intentions, what happens is that sometimes we as Christians, we just start to focus on the sin instead of loving the sinner and trying to reconcile them to Christ. And so we focus on trying to change their behavior to get rid of the sinful behavior without actually pointing people to Jesus. And so we preach a message of condemnation because we know that sin is evil but we're not pointing to the one who can actually help them overcome their sin. See, we are all slaves to sin and the only solution to that is Christ. We are not saved through obedience. 
We are not saved through actions. We are not saved through how many times we come to church. We are not saved by our tithe checks. We are saved through faith alone and Christ alone because of God's grace alone. And so we need to point people towards belief. And the way Jesus does this, and I believe that we are called to do this as well, is to invite people to belong, to say, come as you are. As we point people to belief, as they figure out what it means to believe. And through belief in Christ, the Holy Spirit will enter into their hearts. And through the Spirit and the Word of God and Christian community, over time, behavior is going to begin to be transformed. So we're not trying to hide the sin issue. We're not trying to hide the behavior issue. But there's just a a pattern and a method and an order that we need to do these things in. And so the Ninevites, it tells us in verse 5 that they believed God. And then it says, a fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Many of us would like to just jump to the repentance and the sackcloth part and say, hey, repent of the sin. Just jump to the behavioral transformation rather than pointing them to belief. But for the Ninevites, they believed God. And because they started trusting in God, their actions were changed. Think about Jonah, who had some belief in God. But early on, his actions were not informed by his belief in God. It was informed by his belief of how the world worked and how the world operated. But then when he started putting his trust in God in the belly of the fish, that's when his actions became the actions that are desirable to God. He started doing what God had called him to do because he put his trust in God. So we need to turn our eyes to Christ and we need to focus other people's eyes on Christ and trust that God is gonna help do a work in people's hearts. And again, as the church, we're gonna come alongside brothers and sisters in Christ and we're gonna challenge one another and encourage one another and and rebuke one another in righteousness. And out of love, we're gonna do this for one another to point people to a greater relationship with Christ. But the Ninevites believed and it began to change their actions. And then look what it says in verse six. It says, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is a powerful, miraculous moment. Remember who the Ninevites were. The Ninevites were described as the city of blood, a place that never was without a victim. And so you can imagine that the king of Nineveh was not a very nice guy. This was an evil man, an evil person, an evil ruler who had policies and had done things with his authority that harmed people, that had wronged people, that were not good, certainly were not godly. And yet even this evil person heard the the, the gospel message being preached, the gospel being proclaimed and turned from his evil ways and repented. Now let me bring this closer to home for just a moment. It's the year 2024. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's going to be an election in November. And at the end of the election cycle, there will be someone who is the president of the United States. And there will be people in this room on either side, because I'm not, I have no idea who's gonna win. I'm not predicting anything here, but there's people on either side, no matter who wins, they're gonna be really excited. And there's gonna be people who are really devastated. And there are gonna be people in this room who will look at the person who is president and say, well, the world is ruined, America's ruined, church is ruined, faith is ruined, God can't do anything because that person is too evil, they're too bad, look at their character, look at their policies, look at who they are, we're doomed. 
And if that is you and that's how you're feeling in those moments, I would just point you to Jonah chapter three, to verse six, to look at what happened to the king of Nineveh when the gospel was proclaimed. To recognize that someone who was so far away from God could repent and turn from his ways and receive salvation. I would encourage you to remember that the person who sits on the white, in the White House is not sitting on the throne. God sits on the throne. He is sovereign, he is powerful. And even if the person in the White House ruins our country, God is still good and can lead us through difficult circumstances. By the way, Christians have been experiencing persecution and difficult circumstances since the very beginning. Let's not forget that Jesus was put on a cross by evil political leaders. So if you're worried about God's plans being thwarted or the church dying because of a political leader, look at scripture and see what God can do. But also have a bigger view of God's heart for the individual as well. Because many of us, we wanna look at political leaders as people who are evil and they're the enemies of the gospel and they're our enemies and that's just the way we treat them. But what if we prayed for them? What if we preached the gospel towards them? What if we told them that they were invited into relationship with Christ as well? Might they repent and turn from their ways and turn towards God and begin to lead in a way that God desires? Of course it can happen. It's happened before and it can happen again. And so let's be a people who keep our eyes focused on God, the true King, and understand that He is sovereign, that He is in control, even when we don't get our way. Back to Jonah, chapter three, verse seven. So the king repents and then look at this. He issues this proclamation and it says this, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And so here in this moment, the king repents and turns from his ways and he calls on his city, he calls on his people for all of them to repent, to say to all of them, hey, let's humble ourselves. Let's have a citywide fast for God. Let's all be in prayer and turn towards him and maybe, just maybe, he'll relent from his plan, turn from his anger and forgive us of our sins. We know that in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, it says this, that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so we know that when we come to these moments where we turn from the trash of this world and we turn towards the Father and we turn towards Christ and we put our trust in him, God is waiting there with open arms. His love has been pursuing us. And as soon as we turn towards him, we receive the warm embrace of our heavenly father. And so we know that we can receive salvation through trust in Christ and for the Ninevites, their profession of faith, their turn towards God also led to their salvation. In chapter 10 of chapter, or sorry, verse 10 of chapter three, it says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God is a merciful God. He is a gracious God. He is a compassionate God. His mercies are more. 
And so we praise God because sinners like you and I, like those on the outside of these walls, that sinners can be saved by grace of Jesus Christ through faith in him. And yet many of us would look at this moment and we would not feel really great about it. If we're being honest, many of us would hope for judgment upon the Ninevites. And we might even look and say, wait, wait, hold on. That's great that they turned towards God, but you're telling me that there's no punishment for them? All the evil they did, all the people they wronged? Well, I'm sure there's gonna be relationships that need to be reconciled. But as far as they're standing with God, they are justified. Why? Well, let's look a little bit closer. Look at the second part of verse eight. The king says, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And this is a call to turn towards God first, to recognize that there is a work that God can do that we can't do on our own. That God can do something for us that we can't do on our own. That God has the ability to reconcile us and to restore us into relationship with him, even when we're far from him. And we keep trying to get there on our own. We keep trying to do all these things and it always comes up short, but God can lead us to salvation. And the second thing that they're doing is they're saying, let's turn from our evil ways. And so there's genuine repentance that is taking place. Repentance is not just walking up to someone that you wronged and being like, hey, sorry, I wronged you. And then continuing to do wrong towards them. Repentance is genuine remorse. It's a turning from that which was evil, from that which was sinful, from those ways that were behind us and turning towards something new. And there's genuine repentance that is happening here. And as they turn towards God, verse nine reminds us of who God is. The king says, who knows, God may, ver God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. There's a recognition that God is a compassionate God, that he is a merciful God, that he is a gracious God. God is just and he will punish sins, but he is also merciful and filled with grace and offers us a way to receive forgiveness without having to experience the punishment from him. And that way comes through Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter three, verse 25, it says this, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Atonement is a payment. He presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And so what the scriptures is telling us there is that it wouldn't be just for God to simply ignore sin. And so what he did is he sent his son who lived a perfect life. And in living a sinless life, he was the only person who didn't deserve death, but instead deserved life. He had earned life. And Jesus in his great love, his mercy, his compassion, he laid down his life, gave himself up as an offering for us so that through his blood shed, our sins could be washed away. We could be forgiven and made right with God. And so in that way, God is just and the justifier who can forgive us of sins justly when we put our trust in Jesus Christ 
and receive his gift, receive the gift of life. This is the message that we have received and it is the message that we proclaim to the world. Now we've been doing this for, this is week five of our Jonah series and we've been talking about evangelism, but the question still might be, why? Why do I need to do this? Why do I need to share that message? I've received it, that's great. I'm gonna put my trust in Jesus. Why do I need to share it? Well, let me give you four reasons. Number one is this, why do we share the gospel? Number one is this, is because all Christians have been commanded to preach the gospel. Now, when I say preach the gospel, I don't mean that we're gonna take turns every week getting up here and every single one of you is gonna have to stand up on stage. Some of you are already feeling anxiety about that right now, about thinking about staying in front of this many people, but also then I wouldn't have a job and that would be no fun for me. So that's not the kind of preaching that we're talking about here. When I say that we are all commanded to preach the gospel, what I mean is we are all commanded to use our words to tell people about Jesus to present the gospel message to friends, to family members, to neighbors, to coworkers, to strangers potentially. But we are all commanded to preach the gospel. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples. In Acts 1.8, he says, go and be my witnesses. In Romans, the apostle Paul says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. And so if we are gonna offer salvation to people, we have to preach the gospel. In Acts, the apostle Peter said that we were commanded by Jesus to tell people about Jesus. And in 2 Timothy, the apostle Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. We are commanded to share the gospel through love, yes, through actions, absolutely, but also through our words. And so we can be invitational, inviting people to belong, but at some point, we need to help point people to belief. We need to tell people about what it means to believe. And so we are all commanded to preach the gospel. The second reason that we need to do this is that it would be selfish not to share. Now we learned this in preschool. As a matter of fact, right now, probably in our preschool room, there's some kid who probably walked in there and saw all the toys that are in the preschool room and thought, these are all mine. And they go over to a corner of the room and they start playing with all the toys and another kid comes over and starts to pick up a toy and they go, no, that's mine. And our loving, amazing, wonderful children's ministry leaders come alongside those kids and say, no, no, this is a gift for all the kids and we're gonna share because that's what God wants us to do. And so if we understand the significance of sharing toys as preschoolers, then we can recognize that when we have been given the gospel message, the good news about Jesus, the hope of eternity, that's not just for us, it's for us to share. And so it would be selfish for us to hold that information to ourselves. The positive side of this and the way of saying this positively is the third thing, which is that is the most loving thing that we can do. Is the most loving thing we can do. And this goes in two ways. We talked about this week one, how the greatest commandment according to Jesus is to love God and to love others. And we actually love God and others by telling others about the love of God. And so the way we love God is by sharing his love with others. Think about this, every person you encounter on a day-to-day -day basis, every person you've ever come across is an image bearer of God. And so that is either someone who knows God has put their trust in him and has salvation and eternity with God, or it's someone who is far from God and doesn't know him and doesn't have that relationship with him. And for those who are lost, God desires a relationship with them. And so the most loving thing we can do for our father 
is to go to his image bearers and share his love with them so that they put their trust in Christ and can receive life with him for eternity as well. And the most loving thing we can do for someone else is to share the love of God with them. To tell them everything that you can pursue in this world is trash. Stop pursuing trash and start pursuing the creator. And the reason this is so significant is the fourth reason we need to share the gospel is that it can have an eternal impact. It can have an eternal impact. For Jonah and the Ninevites, it had an impact on their life, certainly. But I wanna flip to a slightly more recent example. In Acts chapter two, only you know 2,000 years ago, In Acts chapter two, Peter and the apostles, they go out and they begin to proclaim the word of God. They preach the gospel message. And many hear the gospel message and want to respond and they say, what should we do? And Peter tells them this in verse 38 of Acts chapter two, it says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now listen again, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Not just for us, it's for all people. Now skip down to verse 41. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ and their eternities went from death to life. They went from brokenness to wholeness. They went from lost to found. 3,000 people, because the people of God were faithful to go and proclaim the word of God. Now listen, I'm not saying that if we go out of the the doors today and go and share the gospel in our areas of influence, that 3,000 people will come to salvation and next week we'll just have the craziest baptism service of all time. But I am saying that that definitely will not happen if we don't go and live faithfully and proclaim the gospel message. Wouldn't it be amazing to see 3,000 people this week come to salvation? If God did it 2,000 years ago, he can do it again today. But for many of us, that might feel a bit overwhelming. So let's just narrow it down a little bit. Don't think about 3,000, think about one. What kind of an impact can you have on one person? Can you think of one person in your area of influence who doesn't know Christ? One person that you can share the gospel with. This year, I'm not even talking today, I'll give you the whole year. We're in February, still early enough, we can do this. One person that we can evangelize. One person that we can share faith with. One person that maybe we'll see God do a work in their heart and we'll see them step into life with God for all of eternity through the power of Jesus Christ. One person that we'll disciple so that in a year from now, us and them both go out together to share the gospel message and focus on one person next year. So there's about 550 people who are at church today, maybe even more watching online. So if we all do this together and we say, we're all just gonna focus on one person, not all on the same person, right? We all gotta find an individual person, but we each find one and witness to that one, share faith with that one, and they come to a saving faith, and we disciple that one so that next year we have doubled our numbers. We're at 550 right now. Next year, there'd be 1,100 of us who would be able to go out and share the gospel. And if next year we make the same commitment, and the year after that, and the year after that, by the year 2031, which is only seven years away from now, we could cover the entire population of Carmichael 
And by the way, the population of Carmichael includes people who are already Christians. So just, it's just a numbers thing here, but you recognize the impact we can have. In seven years, the entire population of Carmichael. Some of you think, well, Ryan, I don't live in Carmichael. I live in Fair Oaks or Citrus Heights or Sacramento. That's great. Give it five more years. In 12 years, by 2036, if all of us just focus on one every year and just double each and every year, we could cover the entire population of Sacramento County. That's 1.6 million people in 12 years. If each of us just focus on one. But we have to be faithful. We have to proclaim the gospel message. And think about what God will do with our efforts. If we say, God, I'm faithful and all I can do is one. How could God take that effort and multiply it? How could the kingdom of God expand because of his work and his strength and his spirit leading the way? We just say, God, we wanna submit to you. And this year we're gonna focus on one. Let's go win our city, our state, our country, our world for Jesus. It starts with one. We don't do this alone, church. We do this together in community with one another each and every one of us using our gifts and our talents. But we also do this through the strength of the Holy Spirit. We do this in relationship with Jesus Christ. In Acts 1.8, he says, you are gonna be my witnesses, but he says, the Holy Spirit will fill you before you do that. In Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples. And he reminds his disciples, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so one of the reasons we gather is because we need each other, but also we gather on Sunday mornings to start our week in worship, to start our week in prayer to start our week in a time of being filled up so that when we go out these walls and live on mission, we are filled up to pour out to others. And on the first Sunday of every month, we are filled up in a special way through a time of the Lord's Supper, a time of receiving communion. See, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And upon giving thanks, he said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he poured it out and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, the forgiveness of sins. And so when we eat the cup or when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we remember what Christ has done for us. And we take a time where we are filled up, not physically by the bread and the cup, but spiritually by Christ himself. And in 1 Corinthians 11, the apostle Paul says that when we do this, when we receive communion, when we come to the Lord's table, that we are proclaiming the Lord's death until the day he returns. And so in receiving communion, we are being filled up but we are also living as a witness to the work of Jesus Christ. And so my encouragement and my hope is that as you come to the table today, that this is a time for those who believe in Christ to come and be filled up, to remember what God has done for you, to think about that one that you are gonna share faith with and to be filled up by the power of Christ so that you can have the strength, the wisdom, the knowledge, the truth, the love to go and do what God has called you to do. And so I just wanna remind you that yes, this is a time for believers. If you are in here and you've not put your trust in Jesus Christ, we are so glad that you are here. I would just encourage you to stay in your seat and just to maybe have a time of prayer just with you and God, maybe trying to get right with God or figure out who God is. But scripture tells us that we don't wanna take communion in a way that's improper. And so we just wanna help guard you from taking it in an improper way. Also, if you are not able to stand up and to come and receive the elements, we'll have people who are walking around to hand out the elements to you. Just stay in your seat and they'll come and find you. And if you need a gluten-free option, we have a gluten-free option on the back table. As you exit your row, if you would exit towards the, your left-hand side, 
uh, and then re-enter on your right-hand side. That will just help the flow of traffic to the best of our ability. I know I sound a little bit like a flight attendant right now. So let's just put the focus back on Jesus Christ and remember that we are coming to receive from him to be filled up so that we can go and pour out to others. Let's pray and then let's receive communion together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the truth of your word, the truth of Jesus Christ, who stepped down from glory to be our savior, to offer us life through your blood. God, we thank you for that. And so we thank you for this time where we can come together to the table to be filled up by you. God, I pray that you would fill us up, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us. God, that you would meet us where we're at and continue to lead and guide us each and every day. God, fill us up so that as we go into the world and share your gospel, we can pour you out with others. God, I pray for those people that we are thinking of, those who are far from you, that we are going to share the gospel with. God, when that time comes, would you give us wisdom and what to say? Would you give us knowledge? Would it be your words that are spoken through us? And God, as we speak the truth in love, we pray for favor, favor in those relationships with open hearts so that those we share with will hear the gospel message and receive you. God, continue to use us, your church, to multiply your kingdom. Thank you for this time with you. Thank you for meeting us here. Fill us up, Lord. We love you and praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.